It was just over a week ago when we were here for the Woodall Lecture, it being given by Amy Jill Levine of Vanderbilt University, and she was talking about the parables. And she reminded us that parables ought to leave us uncomfortable, that if we're really listening to the parables, we ought to be somewhat challenged, somewhat upset, somewhat discomforted by the story. And then in a question-and-answer session, she suggested that the meaning of the parable of the talents that we've heard today comes down to something along the lines of if you don't use what you have, you will lose it. If you don't use what you have, you will lose it. It's a pretty traditional reading. And while there's nothing wrong with it, and while there are ways of telling that story that are uncomfortable, I find myself still pretty comfortable with it. So I ask, what else could be going on in this story? How else might we read this story? What meaning are we missing? Could it be that the parable is not really about the talents, but about the attitude of the slaves to their master? And it's the attitude of the slaves that determines the outcome. So if so, then the ones who saw the master as generous and caring and who experienced the master as someone who trusted them and called them to be better than they were and someone who uh, gave them stewardship, these are the slaves who, were, who felt free enough to take risks Uh, and experienced not only abundance, but because they experienced grace and generosity, they were invited to enter into the joy of the master. The ones who expected grace found grace and abundance, but not the one who buried his money in the ground. The one who buried his money in the ground knew and expected his master to be harsh. I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And indeed, the master turns out for him to be harsh and unforgiving. It's not quite captured in a collector's edition of the New English Bible. The first edition of the New English Bible uh, was printed in the 70s and is intended as a literary translation of the scriptures, and it has the master saying to the slave, you lazy rascal, which doesn't quite capture the condemnation that is intended in this this book. So the reading challenges to think about, that reading challenges us to think about what we really expect of God, who we really think God is. Now, most of us go through life whatever we think we believe and whatever we say we believe with a kind of functional theology that keeps emerging from time to time. And commonly, we say that we think God is loving and that we'll always have enough, but we tend, most of us at one time or another, to act out of a fundamental belief that if we can figure out what the right thing to do is and do it, we will be rewarded and life will go well. And so when life doesn't go well, we find ourselves saying, why do bad things happen to good people? And when life throws us a curveball and the stock market goes in the tank or we lose our job or our marriage falls apart or something dreadful, our our child is challenged and attacked in some unfair way, in such times we tend to feel hard done by. And while we don't quite think these things are our fault, it's hard to shake the idea that we're somehow being punished and the world is not supposed to be like that. And, and, And then it's not too big a step to realize that actually, really, we should be bailed out in some way. It's not our fault that some other greedy person did all of those things with subprime housing money, so that can't be a a reason to allow our car business to fail, can it? We ought to be bailed out. If we find ourselves thinking this way, then our functional theology is we should be rewarded when things are going well, and we should claim that reward because we deserve it. 
and that when things aren't going well, God should fix things. And we wind up, if we do think that way sometimes, but we're not unlike the person on the street who, when I decline to give him a dollar, says, you ought to help people, you're a Christian. You ought to fix it somehow. It's not fair, so someone should take care of me. So in this reading of the parable, God's saying what God said, what the prophet said to Israel when things were going well and when they forgot to care for the widow and the orphan and the stranger and the weakest among them and forgot to be the people they were founded to be. God is saying, in effect, look, you took credit when things were going well. You can deal with the consequences when they're not. You wicked and lazy slave, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I, for one, am discomforted. How about you? That really might be it, that reading. Expect God to be generous. And we'll find ourselves free to live generously. Expect God to be harsh, punitive. Then we'll live fearfully, not really giving thanks in good times, except perhaps as a kind of hedge against the possibility of bad times when we might find ourselves feeling as though we're being punished. Maybe that's it. But, you know, if it is, it's still not quite right because we're still comparing God to the master. And the God who is present at Calvary and the God who is present in the life of absolute integrity of Jesus, that God, the God of our story, is neither capricious nor punitive. And so we haven't quite perhaps got to the right reading yet, or at least not a full reading. So what other meaning might we rest? Is it possible that Jesus is describing in this parable the economic system of his day, just the reality, just pointing out to people what's going on, when most of his hearers would have been like that third slave? They would have been people hanging on for dear life to the little bit that they have for life worried and knowing that it can be taken from them by whim or wish or caprice at any moment, just hanging on, and they're hearing the story about that third slave who buried his money in the ground, and most of them would have done the same. What if this parable is being told to them? And they know, because they look around and they see the rich getting richer. What if Jesus is just saying, in this world, it's true. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer, sort of thing that we may have said ourselves. And if so, then this is a description, this story, of the kind of judgment that people experience in Jesus' day all the time. And he's going to go on next week and talk about the sheep and the goats and how they are separated one from another and how that separation won't be on the basis of money but on the basis of how we cared for the weakest among us. Maybe Jesus is saying something like, you know how the world is. The world will tell you you are only valuable when you can consume, when you have money, when life is good. Look at what happens to people when they have no money and they're on the streets. Look at what happens to the weakest in this world. Yes, they are judged and they aren't valuable because they cannot consume. But wait, in the kingdom of God, that is not the basis of judgment. In the kingdom of God, the basis of judgment is that you are loved by God and created by God for love, and you will be judged on how you treat the weakest, how you treat the weakest among you. 
And that's how it's going to be. So yes, it can seem terrible. It can seem really bad. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. But what matters is that you are loved and you're created by love for love. And how you treat the weakest will be what matters. And so perhaps that's, this parable is just part of a whole thing. Last week we heard about the wise and foolish bridesmaids and said, watch therefore you do not know the hour and the day. And then, then he tells this story. So it's going to be like this in this world. And the next week he tells another story It says, but wait, that's not really the answer. The answer is really remember that you are loved and remember the weakest among you, whatever the economy of the world seems to suggest. In a few moments, we're going to mark a significant point on the journey to adulthood for a number of our members near their 13th birthdays. And this is a good word for them, a good word for you, as you begin to respond to the changes that are happening in your bodies, whether you're ready for it or not. And the message is, remember that you are loved. Remember that your value doesn't come from how much money you have or how popular you are or how good you are at sports, however good and fun those things can be. Your value comes from the reality that you are loved. You are precious in God's sight. You're loved, and you can experience that love in the love of your families and in the love of your parents, in the love of your friends, in the love of your church. Your value comes from being loved, and you will be judged on the basis of how you treat the weakest among you of how you treat the nerd, of how you treat the last one picked, of how you treat the one that isn't cool to be with. That's how you'll be judged by God in a community where everyone is loved, created for love, and loved for eternity. That can be discomforting, can it not? Let us sit with our discomfort for a few moments and respond to the gospel in silence and in prayer.